Welcome to another episode of Yesterday's Capers. I'm Abdullah Molim and every week I'll be bringing you the very best shows from the past that the world has to offer. It's a new year and we're back with some brand new episodes and we're starting off with some sci-fi puppet classics as we look back at Stingray, Captain Scarlet and Thunderbirds. It's a Jerry and Silver Anderson celebration and we'll try and break down these three very interesting TV shows. So, let's get started. And uh, joining me for a new year, it's uh, producer Paul. Hey man, happy new year, how's it going? Yes, yes, happy new year and, and all of that. I'm, I'm, I'm alright, I'm trying to see if I've got the feel for it again because it's, uh, it's been a while, hasn't it? Yeah, so we've had a little break and it's kind of been... You feel rusty kind of coming back to the mic and, you know, sitting here again. I know. Looks like 2021 might be headed to the same path as 2020 if uh, the first couple of days are to go by. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I think at least half of this year is a write-off, isn't it? Let's be honest. Um, I think all of it. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i back working at home again. Um, so, you know, it just seems like we've t- kind of taken a backward step. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like I said, uh, uh, unless we're all jabbed and according to something I was reading, I don't think I'm going to be due one until July and I won't get my second one until December. So, yeah. And then then you're at least then a month away from being vaccinated properly. Right. So like it takes like you're three months or whatever it is, you're 21 days or however long it is. And then, um, and then you get another one, and then it takes a month to be vaccinated fully after that. So, I mean, I'll be first in line as soon as I'm allowed my, um, as soon as, as soon as I get my call. So, yeah, uh, same. I know there's a lot of people, you know, saying, "Oh, is it a good idea? Is it a bad idea?" You know, um, shut up. It's got microchips in it. It's got this. It's got that. I mean, I to be honest, if it if it's it brings us back to normal, man, just inject me with every microchip you've got. If you've eaten the kebab stand near um where is it in uh near chinatown there's like this disgusting kebab place if you've eaten that then don't worry what's in the vaccine yeah okay don't worry what's in the vaccine you're gonna be good i had kebab meat last night it was so good do you know know, like do you know the the worst kebab meat is the best kebab meat, if you see what I mean. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent. If it's if the place is filthy, then I'm going in. <laughs> yeah, it's just like yeah, this is amazing. Just kind of like dripping the grease all over. Yeah, great. Anyway, so <laughs> <laughs> you know, we was uh, talking about um this um before we started recording that I was gonna kind of do it the traditional two show head off and then um do a special, but I've decided that we're gonna kind of look at all three shows in a similar light and kind of do what we do and rank them. I think that's a great idea because I think there, I think that, you know, there's not one that stands out as a special. I think that they all kind of like can go up against each other. Yeah. I mean, there isn't what, when I was doing the research, I think that's when I kind of realized there isn't going to be a, a special, special quote unquote. It's kind of, Made by the the, the, the the same people. And I think while Thunderbirds may have got more of the buzz and more of the press, I think ultimately it was only around for like one year and it was the same for the other the other shows. So I think it kind of felt 
propped and right to do it in this kind of vein. And in my humble opinion, I believe that there is a clear three, two, and one. But uh, yeah, I uh, to be honest, I've got the same feeling. I th- I've, I'm very clear already on where I'm going to go with it. But um, I'm not sure if this is just nostalgia. So who knows? I mean, maybe I'll change my mind whilst you're talking about it because I've been looking forward to the um, the background of this um, because just watching it, you know, as a normal adult. I mean, because I, I used to watch all three shows with my dad, so it kind of brings back a lot of memories this this week. Okay, well, uh, without further ado, let's uh, get started right away. We're going to start with uh, Stingray because that was the one that came out first out of the three. So this uh, came out in October 1964 and some of the things happening in the world. The Conference of Non-Aligned Nations began in Cairo with representatives from 47 nations that considered themselves to be unaligned with either the United States or the Soviet Union. Queen Elizabeth II began her most guarded day in history with unprecedented security measures as she visited Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island in Canada, in the centennial celebration of the 1864 Charlottetown Conference. Nikita Khrushchev was removed from his position as the leader of the Soviet Union when the Central Committee of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union voted to retire him from his position as the party's general secretary and the Presidium of the Supreme Soviet voted to accept his voluntary retirement as chairman of the Council of Ministers. My Fair Lady, was in the cinemas and Oh Pretty Woman by Ray Orbison was number one in the charts. So Stingray, so this was a British children's sci-fi TV series created by Jerry and Sylvia Anderson and produced by AP Films for ITC Entertainment. It was filmed in 1963 using a combination of electronic marionette puppetry and scale model effects and it was APF's sixth puppet series and the third to be produced under the banner of Super Mario Nation. In preparation for the series, APF acquired a new large studios so that it could continue to occupy for the remainder of the 60s. It was filmed at a cost of approximately one million pounds and Stingray was the first British TV series to be made entirely in color, a move intended to increase its appeal to the lucrative American market. The underwater sequences were filmed dry by shooting the sets through thin aquaria, while surface shots were filmed on water tanks incorporating lower back walls to create artificial horizons. Stingray was the first Super Mario Nation series whose puppet characters had interchangeable heads, showing a range of facial expressions. Stingray is a nuclear-powered combat submarine and it's the flagship of the World Aquanaut Security Patrol, or WASP, which is a, a, bra- a branch of World Security Patrol, and they're responsible for policing the Earth's oceans in the mid-2060s. Armed with Sting missile torpedoes, it can travel up to 600 knots, which is 1,100 kilometers an hour or 690 miles per hour underwater, and reached depths of over 36,000 feet, or 11 kilometers, 6.8 miles. The Wasp is based in the self-contained city of Marineville, which is located several miles inland somewhere on the west coast of North America. 
It is connected to the Pacific Ocean via a tunnel leading to an ocean door through which Stingray is launched. General quarters alerts are sounded by rapid drum beats played over the base's public address system. In emergency situations, the entire base can be lowered into underground bunkers via giant hydraulic jacks, while fighter aircrafts and interceptor missiles are launched to counter threats. WASP personnel acknowledge commands with the phrase PWOR, or short for proceeding with orders received. And what was interesting about the show was this, the closing title. It was nothing to do with the theme song. And it kind of focuses on the love triangle between Troy, Marina, and Atlanta. And they feature Troy singing Aquamarina, a song about his feelings for Marina, which was performed by Gary Miller with soprano backing vocals, while Atlanta gazes wistfully at his photograph. I kind of like this song. I thought it was a very cute, nice song, actually. Very nice, and it was part of the whole thing. So that was um, uh, an interesting thing. One thing, though, if anyone from BritBox is watching this, I think there's two things you need. You need the next episode thing come up, and um, maybe it was because I didn't watch the end right at the end of it. And also a skip titles button, man. Like, oh god, yeah. Where's the skip titles button? And um, and also, do you know the little thumbnail that comes up where you're skipping through, so mm. you can see where you're actually skipping to? You need that. Major key alert, Brickbox. Major key alert. Yeah, I mean, Brickbox, though. I mean, who knew? I mean, I was like a bit... What do you mean, who Did you not know that it was a thing? No, I knew it was a thing, but I was like, why would we want to watch old ITV shows and BBC shows? I mean... Mm, yes, if only when there's a podcast that focuses on old yeah, school stuff. But, that, but that's the thing. I was watching it. I was like, this is a gold mine. Like, I was it is. Through. And even, uh, I know this is like um, not relevant to this podcast, not this episode, but I was like, Wizardora, Weadora. I was like, Yes. I remember that one. I, like, oh, I remember that one too. Is that on Britbox? Yeah. Okay, okay. And I, th- I think I might have to do more snooping. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, sorry so to go off on a tangent there. That's all right. Um, so, yeah, Stingray is piloted by the square jawed Captain Troy Tempest. And he is paired with Southern Navigator Lieutenant George Lee Sheridan, or nicknamed Phones, for his secondary role as Sting- Stingray's hydrophone operator. And Troy and Phones board Stingray from the Marineville standby lounge by sitting on twin seats that are then lowered into the submarine via injector tubes. They answer to the hover chair bound Commander Sam Shaw, whose daughter, Lieutenant Atlanta Shaw, works in the Marineville control tower and is enamored of Troy. And in late 1962, as production on Fireball XL5 drew to a close, Jerry Anderson decided that an underwater series was the next logical step for production company AP Films. And what he said was, and I quote, we had been on land and in space, so where could we go next? One possibility was underwater. And he was inspired by childhood memories of U-boats in the Second World War, as well as the as well as by the mysteries of the ocean and what he said was i was fascinated by trenches in the ocean that are as deep as mountains are high there are features that man has never seen and pressures that are almost impossible to withstand i began to wonder if there were areas of the earth which had been little explored and felt justified in writing some wacky stuff and writing in 2006 robert sellers described stingray as the first truly classic Anderson show 
whose special effects have stood the test of time remarkably well. Daniel O'Brien, author of SFUK, How British Science Fiction Changed the World, considered it to be a perhaps perfect, perhaps the archetypal Jerry Anderson series, ranking the Anderson productions. Morgan Jeffrey of Digital Spy places Stingray fourth, calling it a kids' adventure serial of the highest order. And Andrew Blair of Den of Geek believes that when grouped with Thunderbirds of Captain Scarlet and the Mysterons, Stingray is the lesser of the holy triumvirate of Super Marion. It's shorter than the former and lighter than the latter, giving it a complete, giving it a comparatively breezy feel. He also describes it as inherently a matinee adventure, an inspiring rush of mild peril and jaunty escapades. And yeah, the other characters that I did not mention. So Marina, who's a young woman from under the sea who joins Stingray crew. And as you said, she can't talk. Head of Marineville is Commander Samuel Shaw. He's unable to walk and he's confined to his hover chair. And Lieutenant Atlanta Shaw, she's the commander's daughter and assistant controller. And Sub-Lieutenant John Horatio Fisher who's the junior assistant controller in Marineville Tower. So I've done uh, enough talking now. So uh, take it away and uh, let's talk about Stingray. Yes, yeah, so I was um, quite, I was really interested this week to hear about the making of and the background of it because, I mean, it's a very ambitious project, isn't it? Like, um, oh, yeah. Uh, one thing I really okay, there's a couple of bad points about it, but they're not bad points. They're just bad points because we're in like the age of special effects and CGI. So, what I found hilarious was because you could tell that they were filming through a fish tank, right? And the fish were like, obviously, they were the tiny little fish that you get in the fish shops, and right, and they look massive. <laughs> and they're just like everything's in focus, and it's like, um, and obviously the the strings of the puppets and stuff like that. But and you can see that they're not moving; it's the screen behind them kind of moving as well. Um, but I thought it was really interesting about the um, because I, they don't actually say it, but I think they're alluding to like the Mariana Trench, um, which is like which is largely unexplored, I think, in the um in the world and it's like you could fit mount everest into it easily and stuff like that so um yeah i found it really interesting concept uh one of the when i was a child i thought that these were i, I didn't know that stingray was a separate thing to thunderbirds um so it kind of when i was a kid it kind of confused me because it was like i, I was aware of captain scarlet and i was aware of thunderbirds but i wasn't aware of stingray so when i saw stingray i just thought it was something about those two but i didn't understand the plot because i didn't understand who was who and stuff like that so um this time around it was um still quite confusing i mean like it's kind of like alien monsters under the sea um but i, I, I the special effects like you said um i really enjoyed the the explosions and the um and one thing is like you can tell that you know big fire isn't the same as little fire you know like if you saw if you see a big explosion in real life like you know it looks like a big explosion but and and but if you film like a little fire a little fire but really close up it looks like a little fire but really close up you know it doesn't look like a big fire so um you could kind of tell that but i really like the um the special effects and the little kind of like i don't know what they were where they lit like the fireworks at the back of the rockets and stuff like that and it's like 
goes and they kind of launch missiles. I I really enjoyed those kind of like special effects, and I bet it was great fun to make. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't want to bang on about how things looked not that great in the lens of 2021. I kind of want to give it the benefit of the doubt as much as humanly possible, because obviously this is what 1964, and there were yeah, like you said, this is a very ambitious project. I do think. Actually, with this show, they probably showed off less. Whereas in the other shows we'll talk about later, I've kind of felt that they was kind of doing things for the sake of doing it. Whereas I thought Stingray, I think they kind of homed in on it and was like, this is what we kind of want to do. And, okay, look, the strings were very clear and very evident. You can literally see how they were, like, walking and slowly. I mean... It's, it wasn't that prevalent when I was watching it as a kid or my small 360p television. You're still thinking, oh my God, this is so cool. Look at them. This is back then and they're doing all of this. And yeah, I, I you know what? I, I, these kind of shows weren't my jam as a kid. I knew Stingray existed, but I would always give it a wide berth because I just thought, yeah, this is not me. I don't. This is not something that I'm interested in, but I don't know. I I I, I kind of liked it. I I actually thought this was a this was a pretty uh, good show. It was it was easy to watch. I felt I felt the storylines were were pretty good. I did like like you were saying the whole love thing between Troy, Marina, and Atlanta. I did like Marina, even though she didn't say a damn word. And I was trying to find episodes with her in it, and I only found it too late by the time i've uh watched the episodes so i thought i was um i was quite gutted about that because i wanted to see more because apparently her she has a dad and the dad i think i think the uh underwater monsters kidnap her dad or something and that was uh that was an episode that i wanted to watch but i didn't i watched another episode but uh no, I actually, I actually liked it, and uh, fair, fair, fair play to them on uh, on uh, this one. So I find it quite interesting that you say that um, you didn't like it as a kid, and you kind of gave it a wide berth. Because one one of my notes w- w- that I wrote was like, it's it's like an adult show, but just with puppets. Um, so like, it was kind of like it wasn't. Do you know, like, kind of now it's all like wacky and like you know very child. Um, I don't know. Like, it's the language is kind of directed to a child. Yeah, yeah. This is like proper like spy language and stuff going on, and it's like a spy show thing. You know, spies and secret agents and yeah, like technology, but just delivered through puppets. Um, it's like sorry, it's it's different for them because this is what they were used to. This sort of adult-ish cartoons and more serious cartoons and more serious TV shows. I think the kids were more used to that, whereas now it's SpongeBob SquarePants and ha 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 and, exactly. and everything's so I, just looking really daft. So I quite like that, the fact that it was like that, to be honest, especially watching it as an adult. I really enjoyed it. So I can imagine it'd be something that, you know, parents could watch with their kids and, you know, find it like vaguely interesting. Um, one thing I really did like about it as well, and this was with all three shows, is that the storylines were very linear. Like it was like, here's the goodies, and here's what the baddies are doing, and the goodies have got to stop the baddies from doing it. 
And I absolutely loved that because it was just like, I'm going to see what happens. I'm going to see how they do it. And then they do it and it's all great. And I don't know what it was about it or what we haven't seen for a long time, probably in some other shows we've been watching, but I really liked the fact that it was very straightforward. Yeah, because one of the things that we have complained about is if it doesn't make sense. Whereas this, it was okay, it's basic, but sometimes you have to follow something. You've got to follow the basics. It's got to have a beginning, it's got to have a middle, it's got to have an end. It's got to have the, 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 the good guys, the bad guys. And. It's got to have. It's got to follow a formula, and that's what they did. And I, I felt, yeah, they, they, they did it well in, 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 in all of the shows. Whether I liked it or not is a different, different matter altogether. But they did follow that, and I, 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 I yeah, I thought it was um, good that they, good that they did that. So, uh, saying that, let's talk about episodes we watched. Right, so I just went ahead and watched episodes one and two. Uh, starts off submarines going across the screen, and it gets like a missile. Oh, sorry, this little big old fish comes and launches a missile at it, like a uh, not missile. What's it called? A torpedo. And um, then Stingray comes to the rescue, and they're like, "Dun da da da." Stingray's going to come, and then it, <laughs> and then Stingray gets messed up as well by the same by the same thing. Um, so. The town goes into battle stations, which I really like. So the whole town, like you said before, just like disappears under the ground and a big like protective thing goes over the top of the thing. I thought that was super cool. I'd love to live in a town that does that. I mean, I wouldn't like it to be uh, used, really, in anger. But, um, <laughs> but anyway, Initially, that... I wrote that it was slow. I don't know why I wrote that. I think I was being a bit harsh. Yeah, but imagine if I thought you... it started very slow and it was very... You could see them... I think I was getting wound up by the puppets, to be honest, at this point. Yeah, I, I mean, like... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't, I, I, I didn't mind the puppets so much, but, um, uh, but yeah, uh, it, the first episode of Stingray, because I watched Stingray last, so the first episode of Stingray was a bit different, like very, like you said, they'd done the space, they'd done the thing, and um, this was super different being under the water. Anyway, so. Uh, they get kidnapped by Titan, I think is the name of one of the baddies. Um, yeah, from Titanica. Yeah, and I said matey from the ship <laughs> gets the um, trial where the fish can't turn away from him. So it's Troy Tempest, and he's got a trial where if the fish, this fish has to look at you, and if it if it turns away from you, then, and in one marine minute, I think it was, and if the fish turns away, you get sentenced to death. And the fish gets to, like, the last possible second and then turns away and they're like, Oh, right. That's it. You're going to get sentenced to death. And then they get in the meantime, they get sent to prison in Aquatraz, um, which I thought was quite funny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I like that. I like that. And then whilst they're in the prison, um, they kind of got their arms tied behind their back and stuff like that. And Marina, the, um, the, the voiceless woman um, basically saves them. Um, she unties Troy, and then he's like, "Don't say anything." But she's untying me, and um... <laughs> but I love that. Oh, but she can understand. Yeah, <laughs> and they're like, "You can understand, can't you?" She nods her head, and they're like, "Oh, I'm not going to say anything then." <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah. So basically, she rescues them, and then they escape and go to back to um Marinesville, uh, which I believe was the end of episode one. Uh, the next episode was called Emergency Marineville. So a rocket is launched towards the base and 
they're trying to figure out basically where it comes from. They launch a defense missile. It blows up the the missile. So they go looking. They know it's within a 200-mile square radius of this um, of where the kind of missile launched, and they're kind of investigating. And Stingray's like, I don't know where it is. I'm going to go to Area 21. So, um, And then whilst they're kind of on the surface of the water, they see another rocket launch towards the base. And then, again, it gets forward. But this is where you get to see like the whole base sink into the floor and um you know cover up and, and stuff like that so that was quite cool um so they have a look for so i did rush through this episode ever so slightly because I, I was right up against it at the time so um if i have missed anything and you notice it so just just give me a shout i didn't watch episode two so okay so that's uh hopefully uh, this this will make sense so they basically they they, they say like the missiles launched from that island so there must be something going on there so they're going to go go and investigate they go under the water and they find a um a way in um but when they get out, there's this kind of paralyzing ray. Um, and I, one thing I really liked in all three of these shows was the sweat on the head. So that they should be wet. And like this this paralyzed, I can't move. I'm going to, I feel really tired. And you see the sweat coming on their head and stuff like that. So I thought that was quite funny. Um, uh, they fall asleep. They get captured by the baddies. And they says, you'll help us blow up Marinesville because their rockets aren't penetrating. So um, they capture, they've captured Marina. And if they don't, talk basically marina will suffer so she's got like she's basically on an electric chair and they said if this gets to a thousand volts she will die but until the thousand it starts at zero makes it all the way up to thousand and until it gets to a thousand she won't feel a thing she'll just be fine so and it's going up and no one's talking and then it gets to like right near a thousand and tempest gives in <clears throat> and it gives him the frequency of the homing um the the frequency that the uh the defense missiles are homing in on so that they know how to think so basically when they launch the missiles which they do and the miss the defense missiles just miss they just go straight past it um and then they get they get thrown in jail and they basically um have to hook the keys away and when they get out i think tempest goes and sabotages the missile but also writes a note inside the missile saying like we've been captured blah 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 but he also disables the warhead so they launch the missile the defense missiles miss but when the missile hits the ground it doesn't blow up it just hits the ground um and then when they when they uh, send the bomb disposal squad to go and get it they find the note and then they basically launch an all-out attack on on this base that the baddies are in and the baddies surrender uh and then stingray launches like loads of missiles inside the base once once they get out they turn stingray around launch loads of missiles in the base and they blow up once and for all good stuff so i watched episode 18 the cool caveman so there's going to be a, a fancy dress party i think atlanta is organizing it and the captain's very much against it He's like, oh, this is dumb, this is stupid, why are we doing this? And one of them's got, like, this weird moustache in his face, and he's like, take that moustache off, fool. Like, we, we've got work to do. And um, Troy and Phones have to miss the party because they're on standby. And as long as the Shenandoah boat doesn't sink, then they should be fine to go. But obviously, they're still in... Um, they've got to be on duty just in case. And the captain, he's, like, in a Joker outfit. And... He's like to Troy, look, maybe get some sleep because you're going to be on duty later. And Troy, and he's like, oh, just in case you might go to the party, maybe have a look at some books or whatever. And so Troy's reading this book and then he's thinking about what to wear and then he falls asleep. And 
So he's asleep, and then the Shenandoah boat hits rocks, and it's about to sink. And there's a radioactive material, and it gets exposed into the sea. And so Troy and Phones have to go underwater to look for the um, the isotope thingy. And then the underwater cavemen, they end up taking the uh, the big isotope cylinder thing. And so Troy and Phones are like, look, 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 don't take that. It's dangerous. But they start hurling rocks at Troy and Phones. And they end up being trapped by uh, a trap that the cavemen set for them. And they, the caveman, are enamored by this uh, radioactive thing. And then there's like an elder there, and he collapses because of the uh, being exposed to radioactiveness. And so Troy is saying to the caveman, hey, look, we can save him if you um, take this uh, radioactive pill. And the cavemen are saying, you know, if he doesn't wake up, then, you know, you're going to die. So they end up throwing spears at Troy, and they're like, please, please, please stop throwing these spears at us. We're, 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 we're trying to save your life. And then it was all a dream. And Troy's like, what the hell was that? And then obviously he gets a call from the captain, and the captain says, oh, the Shenandoah made it safe and sound. You're off duty for tonight, so you can go to the fancy dress party. And then he's looking at the book, and then it's a picture of cavemen. And so he ends up putting on the uh, caveman getup. He goes to the party, and he sees that the captain has got the same caveman getup and phones. And so he's like, okay, great minds think alike. <laughs> and that's how the episode ends. I, I, I kind of liked it. And then uh, the last episode I watched was Marineville Traitor. So. There's someone out there who's uh, stealing a hydroprobe receiver from Marineville. And so Captain is basically saying, look, there's a traitor in Marineville. And the captain's saying to Atlanta, it's all right, I'll handle it. I'll, um, I'll deal with it. And then he ends up talking to somebody. And so the captain is talking to this person. And this person is basically going, have you done the job? And the captain's like, yes, it's done. And it, you're making you're making it believe like oh maybe it's the captain who's a traitor, and so there's someone in the uh, base. I think phones is going to captain, and Atlanta and everybody there. Look, captain, there's something I need to talk with you about about something I've heard, and the captain obviously doesn't know what it is, so he goes okay, that's fine. L- l- you can tell you whatever you can say, you can say it in front of everybody. So he plays the recording of the captain talking to the bad guy. And everyone's going, whoa, Captain, what's, 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 what's going on? And Captain's like, oh, don't worry. It was a joke. I was thinking, what a, the most horrible excuse. I'm like, you know what you could say? You could say, yo, I'm trying to talk to the enemies and I'm trying to infiltrate them and I'm trying to do this. Whereas he's literally going, ah, ha, 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 it was a joke. Oh, go, 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 go. I was thinking... What the hell kind of captain are you? And you know you're you're made to believe that he's definitely the enemy. And then he goes to base, and he's talking to the same person again. And then he's like, he ends up oh he fakes that he he fakes an attack, so he ends up on the floor and he's like oh my god somebody attacked me I didn't see it was from behind. 
but uh, there wasn't anybody other than the captain who appeared in the um, Marineville that night. Troy starts to get suspicious. He's thinking, um, there's something not right here. And he's telling Atlanta this. And Atlanta's like, how can you say this about my dad? Showing real emotion, which the other show ne- ne- necessarily never focused on. So you can see her visibly being upset by the thought of her, her, her father being this uh, double agent. And she's very, very emotional about it. And Captain saying, you know what? Hey, leave this room for me for 10 minutes. I want to be disturbed. But then he ends up talking to the enemy. And Troy and Phones are listening in from secret. And then they basically arrest the captain. But Atlanta's not happy about it. She's like, oh, let me take him home. They're like, no, 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 we need to um, toss his ass in uh, in jail. So he's locked up. And there's another guy, Misen. And, and it turns out that he was the traitor all along. And Captain was, I think, trying to get a, a lead on it. And Misen's like, okay, you know, we're on the same team now. We're playing both sides. It's great, blah, 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 blah. And Captain's like, no. You're the real traitor, and I'm going to arrest you. And then Misen's like, I've got the gun. You better do as I say, otherwise you've had it. And then um, Troy and Phones come in, and then they um, apprehend Misen, and he's locked up in the jail. And, uh, yeah, that was the last episode I watched of uh, Stingray. Any last thoughts? No, not really. I thought the um, it was obviously cool submarines. One thing... As, and this goes for all three shows, and talk about it a little bit more later. Is the um, there's a great like merchandise, right? Like toys, submarines, yeah, figures. I'm sure I had them, even though I wasn't a fan. This is like right up my street. As soon as I see little action figures and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I I I like this show. I I actually did. I ended up walking out of uh, Stingray thinking, oh, I I, I kind of like you. I I I think this is a a good show, and it had some um, lots of uh, endearing things about it. Marina, very endearing. Atlanta was endearing, I thought. I did like Troy as this uh, hero type. Yeah, lots of uh, tangibles and moving parts. <laughs> moving parts that <laughs> I, I uh, that I that I liked about this show. So, uh, good job, guys. Good job. Next, we're talking Thunderbirds. And uh, this show came out in September 1965. And uh, some of the things happening in the world. Francois Mitterrand is nominated for French presidency. The word hippie first appeared in print in an article in the San Francisco Examiner by reporter Michael Fallon, who was writing a series about the Haight-Ashbury neighborhood. And he wrote, and I quote, five untroubled young hippies sprawled on the floor mattresses and slouched in an armed chair retreat from a debris box flipped cigarette ashes at a seatbelt in their waller street flat and pondered their next move cuba's premier fidel castro announced that anyone who wished to do so was free to emigrate to the united states and that he would provide the transportation the battle of the villa fiorita was in the cinemas and I can't get no satisfaction 
by the Rolling Stones was number one in the charts. Sweet. That's two for two so far. Do like the Stones. <laughs> See, that's the, that's the thing, isn't it? It makes sense that you don't like the Beatles because you like the Stones. Because it's always the Beatles or the Rolling Stones. Beatles or the Rolling Stones. Yeah, I mean, my my dad, I think, was very much Rolling Stones. So um, I suppose it comes from there. Probably, probably, probably. Thunderbirds. So this was a, again, British sci-fi TV series created by Jerry and Sylvia Anderson, filmed by their production company, AP Films, and distributed by ITC Entertainment. And again, using a form of electronic marionette puppetry dubbed Super Mario Nation, combined with scale model and special effects. And it began its first UK run in 1965 on the ITV channel, or ITV as it was known then. It was broadcast in around 30 other countries during the 60s, periodically repeated. It was adapted for radio in the early 1990s and has influenced over many TV programs and other media, as well as inspiring various merchandising campaigns. The series has been followed by two feature-length film sequels, a 2004 live-action film and a mimed stage show. The second of two TV remakes, Thunderbirds Are Go, premiered in 2015. The same year, three new episodes based on soundtracks of tie-in audio plays and producing the same techniques as the original series were produced in celebration of the franchise's 50th anniversary. Widely regarded as the Andersons' most popular and commercially successful series, Thunderbird has been praised for its special effects, musical score, and it is also remembered for its title sequence, which begins with an off-quoted countdown by Jeff Tracy voice actor Peter Dinley. Five, four, three, two, one. Thunderbirds are go! A real-life rescue service, the International Rescue Corps, is named after the organization featured in the series. And Jerry Anderson drew inspiration for the series' underlying concept from the West German mining disaster known as the Wonder von Langed, the or the Miracle of Langed. I don't know if I said it right. Wunder von Langed, or the Miracle of Langed. So in October 1963, the collapse of a nearby dam flooded an iron mine in the municipality of Langed killing 29 miners and trapping 21 others underground. Lacking the means to drill an escape shaft, the authorities were forced to requisition a heavy-duty bore from Bremen. Despite the considerable time necessary to transport the bore by rail, significantly reducing the chances of successful rescue, 11 of the trapped miners were eventually saved. Recognizing the the advantages of swifter crisis response, Anderson conceived the idea of an international rescue organization that could use supersonic aircraft to transport specialized rescue equipment quickly over long distances. Anderson attempted to pitch stories at a level that would appeal to both adults and children, whereas previous series had been shown during the late afternoon. Anderson wanted Thunderbirds to be broadcast in a family-friendly primetime slot. And Sylvia remembers that our market had grown and a kidult show was the next step. And it's set, once again, in the 2060s. So 
Between 2065 and 2067, Thunderbirds follows the exploits of the Tracy family, headed by American ex-astronaut Jeff Tracy. Jeff is a widower with five adult sons, Scott, John, Virgil, Gordon, and Alan. And the Tracys make up International Rescue, or IR, a secret organization founded to save human life. They are aided in this mission by technologically advanced land, sea, air, and space vehicles that are called into service when conventional rescue methods prove ineffective. The most important of these vehicles are the five Thunderbird machines, each assigned to one of the five Tracy brothers. So Thunderbird 1, a blue and silver hypersonic rocket plane used for fast response and disaster zone reconnaissance, and that's driven by Scott. Thunderbird 2 is a green supersonic carrier aircraft that transports rescue vehicles and equipment in detachable capsules called pods, and that's Virgil's. Thunderbird 3 is a red single-stage-to-orbit spacecraft, and that's Alan, John, and sometimes Scott 2. Thunderbird 4 is a utility yellow submersible, and that's uh, Gordon's, and a grey and untold and Thunderbird 5 is a grey and gold space station that relays distress calls from around the world. And that's manned by John and Alan. The family live on Tracy Island, which is an international rescue base in the South Pacific Ocean, in a luxurious villa that they share with Jeff's mother, engineer Brains, and Brains' assistant Tintin and Tintin's father, Malaysian retainer Kairano. And in this remote location, IR is safe from spies and criminals who envy the organization's technology and try to acquire the secrets of the Thunderbird machines. Some of IR's missions are prompted not by innocent misadventure, but sabotage or negligence for negligence, negligence, negligence. Can't even say that word. Negligence. Yeah, that word. (laughs) For missions requiring criminal investigation or intelligence gathering, the organization incorporates a network of undercover agents headed by English aristocrat Lady Penelope Creighton Ward and her butler Aloysius Parker, and they're based at the Creighton Ward mansion in Kent. Penelope and Parker travel in a FAB-1, which is a specially modified Rolls-Royce, IR's most persistent opponent is a master criminal known only as the Hood, operating from a temple in the Malaysian jungle and possessing powers of hypnosis and dark magic. The Hood exerts telepathic control over Kairano, his estranged half-brother, and manipulates the traces into rescue situations that unfold according to his own designs. This gives him opportunities to spy on Thunderbird machines by selling their secrets making himself rich. The puppet stages used for the filming of Thunderbirds were only one-fifth the size of those used for a standard live-action production, typically measuring 12 by 14 metres with three-metre-high ceiling. Bob Bell, assisted by Keith Wilson and Greenville Knott, headed the art department for Series 1, and during the simultaneous filming of Series 2, and Thunderbirds are go in 1966. Bell attended mainly to the film, entrusting set design for the TV series to Wilson. While designing the Creighton Ward mansion sets, Bell and his staff strove for authenticity. 
ordering miniature Tudor paintings, one-third scale Georgian and Regency-style furniture and carpeting in the shape of a polar bear skin. This realism was enhanced by adding scrap items acquired from the household waste and electronic shops. For example, a vacuum cleaner pipe serves as Virgil Tracy's launch chute. The head puppet sculptors were Christine Glanville and Mary Turner, who also served as the lead puppeteers. Glanville and Turner's team built the 13 members of the main cast in six months at a cost of between 250 and 300 pounds per puppet, which in modern days is 5,100 and 6,100 pounds. And since pairs of episodes were being filmed simultaneously on separate stages, the characters needed to be sculpted in duplicate. Facial expressions were diversified by means of replaceable heads, as well as a head with a neutral expression. Each main character was given a smiler, a frowner, and a blinker. The finished puppets were about 22 inches tall or a third human height. The puppet's likeness and mechanics are remembered favorably by puppeteer Wanda Brown, who preferred the Thunderbird marionettes over the accurately proportioned ones that first appeared in Captain Scarlet. And what Wanda Brown said, and I quote, the puppets were easier to operate and more enjoyable because they had more character to them. Even some of the more normal-looking faces, such as Scott and Jeff, for me, had more character than the puppets in the series that came afterwards. And Rimmer speaks positively of the puppets still being very much caricatures, since it made them more lovable and appealing. There was a naive quality about them and nothing too complex. Thunderbirds is generally considered the Anderson's most popular series and their greatest critical and commercial success. In 1966, the series received a Royal Television Society Silver Medal for Outstanding Artistic Achievement and Jerry Anderson received an honorary fellowship of the British Kinematograph Sound and Television Society. In 2007, Thunderbirds achieved 19th place in a Radio Times magazine reader poll to determine the best science fiction TV program of all time. It is ranked fourth by the 2013 Channel 5 list of TV of 50 greatest TV's kids shows. And for Peel, Thunderbirds is without doubt the peak of the Super Mario Nation achievement, suggesting that the series is pitched at a more adult level than its predecessors. He adds that its sense of adventure, effective humor, and gripping and convincing episodes ensured that everyone in the audience found something to love about it. Simon Heffer, who was a fan of Thunderbirds in childhood, commented positively on the series for the Daily Telegraph, writing, and I quote, all elements we children discerned in whatever grown-up television we had been allowed to watch were present in Thunderbirds. Dramatic theme and incidental music, well-developed plots, goodies and baddies, swaggering Americans at a time when the whole of Britain was in a cultural cringe to them, and of course, glamorous locations. Then, of course, there was the nail-biting tension of the rescues themselves. Film critic Ken Kim Newman described the series as a television perennial. And in his foreword to the John Marriott book, Thunderbirds Are Go, Jerry Anderson put forward several explanations for the series' enduring popularity. And what he said was, it contained elements that appealed to most children, danger, jeopardy, and destruction. 
but because International Rescue's mission is to save life, there is no gratuitous violence. And according to Anderson, Thunderbirds incorporates a strong family atmosphere where dad reigns supreme. And Jeff Evans, author of the Penguin TV Companion, argues that the series' 50-minute format allows for stronger character development and tension building. O'Brien is less positive in his appraisal of the writing, asserting that the plots are often formulaic and are sometimes stretched to snapping point by the extended running time. I would incline to agree with that. And Cornell, Day and Topping are critical and they consider the writing at times woefully poor and argue that Thunderbirds as a whole is often as cliched as previous Anderson series. Peel, despite praising the storylines and characterization, suggests that the tongue-in-cheek humor of Stingray is less evident, where Thunderbirds improves on its predecessor. Peel believes in its rejection of fantasy plot devices, child and animal characters, comical and stereotyped villains, and what he terms the standard American the standard Anderson sexism. Female characters marginalized in the early series are more commonly seen to play active and sometimes heroic roles thunderbirds has been followed by two film sequels and live action film adaptation two animated tv remakes and several re-edited presentations for tv broadcast and home video and yeah like i said the second of the remakes thunderbirds are go premiered on itv in 2015 and the 50th anniversary year of the original and i think busted did the soundtrack for the Thunderbirds film that came out in 2004 or 5. Yeah, I think I remember that. Thunderbirds I Go, I believe. Thunderbirds are Go. So yeah, Thunderbirds. So, question for you. Which one was your favourite Thunderbird? Because everyone had one. Did they? Yeah, my one was Thunderbird 1. I didn't really care for the Thunderbirds, to be honest. I liked Lady Penelope and Parker. Um, Alright, damn, let me think. Let me think. Oh, I like the green one. Thunderbird 2. Yeah. <laughs> so, Thunderbird 1 was my favourite, I think, because it was like, had the wings that came out. Um, I like that. Um, uh, right, so... It seems like your jam, so... Uh... Well, to be honest, I had the toys as a kid. Okay, a couple of weird things about thinking. It's weird that it's a, like one f- massive family, like, with all the pictures on the wall and their eyes blink. Blue, 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 blue. I found that a bit weird. Um, and one thing I really, you know, like, it's like the doctor's coming in, okay, and then it's like, I'm going to go into, like, uh, what does he say, um, operation cover-up, and just the pictures change in the thing, it's like... It's a secret, though. Yeah, no, I know, but I mean, it's like, you could probably just have a base, or not have, you, why do you need the secret pictures with the Thunderbirds on it, you could just have the normal pictures. Yeah, because any, any, any Tom, Dick and Harry can walk in. I think that's the thing that they're prided on, was their secrecy and i i respect that though it's none of your business doc you do your thing and we're gonna do our thing as international rescue yeah um, i mean so th- one thing it was obviously you know you've mentioned well hey what does fab stand for fab i had no i was like yeah right. and all of them had it like um i think i don't know do you know what they go i don't know do you know what they say? <laughs> Because they literally, it's like obviously like an, like an affirmative and okay or whatever, and it's just like FAB. And I was like, all right, fair enough. And then even Captain Scarlet was SIG. It's like, what does this mean? Yeah, SIG. 
Or S I G, yeah. I think it's I think it's one of those codes, isn't it? Yeah, I just didn't know what it what it what it what it was about. Um anyway, so Thunderbirds was great. It was very long, very like like it was more like a actual drama for an adult this time around. I can definitely see that it was made for the family. Um and um just like proper drama but with puppets again. Um I only watched one episode of this because it was so long. Um, but I have to say the episode was quite good. I actually like genuinely enjoyed the episode. Yeah, yeah, I did as well. Actually, to be fair, in the end, it yeah, it was. But you know what, right? Too much. They were doing too much again. If I was in post, I would shave at least half an hour, at least because there's lots of establishing shots. There's lots of cutaways. Okay, we get it. Like at this point, I think they're showing off in what what was 965 yeah we get it like you guys are ambitious but at this point i'm like just tell me the story get to the point yeah maybe they just had too much film stock maybe they're one of those where they'll show an explosion and that explosion would go on for like a good couple of minutes and i'm like okay okay tell me the story get on with it it was yeah i'm i'll shave off at least half an hour of this thing is it yeah like you said it was very long i mean i don't uh, to be fair, back in 1960, what else was there to do apart from watch the telly? It's not like we all had all this bits and pieces. Literally, what, three channels? <laughs> yeah, three channels, no iPads, no Netflix, no podcasts to listen to. So, I mean, they were just getting it ready for us, to be honest. They were like, guys, in a few years, they're going to be doing podcasts about old shows. We need to make some really good ones now. <laughs> so, so, yeah, um, okay, okay. I mean, I, I get it, right? And I think people's concentration spans were a lot, lot better than mine. So by 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 the end of the five minutes, I was bored. But after five minutes, I'm like, okay, what's happening now? What's what's going on? But um, yeah, I I I do remember watching this as a kid. Didn't really necessarily like it. I don't remember it being that long. I don't. It's probably because I wasn't. Yeah, I don't either. Like I'd probably come back in after like half an hour, and be like, oh, it's on again. No, it's the same episode. Um, <laughs> one thing I really did like about all three shows, but obviously Thunderbirds in particular, this episode was um, sound effects were amazing. Mm. Like, like proper like uh, jet taking off sound effects. Yeah, uh, you know what? It sounded good. It looked good. I think with all of those effects, it it, it looked good even in 2021. It, it all looks good and whatever. It's nice, but after a while, I'm like, yeah, okay. Maybe, maybe, yeah. Again, I'm looking at it through the lens of 2021, and I promised myself that I wouldn't do this, but I'm here. I am doing it. But yeah, I'm sure if someone's watching this in what 1965, they're looking at it thinking, "Oh my god, this is unreal! This is so cool!" You're having, you know, the cutaways, and you're having like the 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 plane like going zoom into shot, and you got the big explosion with all the colors and everything. Yeah, all of that stuff. I bet look really really good to be fair so yeah but i'm watching it thinking okay we get it too many establishing shots too many cutaways just just hone it in just just bring it all in and uh release that but i think yeah to bridge the gap between adult and kids prime time then i'm sure itv would like you know what here's 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 an hour Six o'clock, just before the kids go to bed. You know, dad's probably come back from work. They probably all have had their tea. So 
right, let's let's all sit down and watch Thunderbird before you uh, toodle off to bed. Yeah. Um, right, should we do episodes? Yes, let's. I mean, I'm ready to go if you are. So basically, I watched the first episode, and that's the only one I watched. And to be honest, I really liked it. So um, there's a man, um, and he's kind of casting his, like, black magic spell and i'm not sure if you noticed this but at the bottom of the there's a big revolving thing and at the bottom of it was severed heads and i was like that's weird i did not notice that they, they didn't reference it and they didn't look at it the, the kind of the camera was like down and then it went up uh, but just what? as it cut off there was severed heads revolving around this thing which i was a bit like oh creepy um is that the props that they left behind probably <laughs> and they just thought, uh, yeah, let's make it look sinister. Yeah. I mean, it's like stingray heads or something like that. Um, <laughs> um, I did not notice that at uh, all. But that was, you know, right at the beginning. And do you know the creepy little temple thing? What some little some white guy called Billy doing the uh, the voice oh, of yeah. what an Indian sounds like with the whole mystical. Do you remember in uh, Johnny Quest? That's what I was just remembering. Sim, 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 bim. <laughs> I was expecting that. <laughs> I was actually, yeah. Ew. But I didn't, yeah, I didn't notice the seven heads. I was too busy being uh, offended by this uh, caricature of... Uh... Um, yeah, uh, so basically, yeah, this guy, he's casting a spell and, um, uh, and then like the, his eyes start glowing and he basically casting a spell on this guy called Kirano, who's with this English guy, who you don't know yet, is the head of the International Rescue People. So, he said um, he he's basically saying, um, he's trying to get him to give him information on the International Rescue because he knows about them and the baddie knows about them and he's like um, and eventually this guy tells him that they're ready to go, they're operational kind of thing. Um, so, and then uh I think it's his daughter is about to get on an aircraft and it's like a new atomic aircraft and it go go like a gazillion miles an hour and it's like basically doesn't use any fuel because it's like a nuclear powered thing. Um and it has a bomb on it. Some some geezer's only put a bomb on it, hasn't he? So um turns out it's his baddie in dis- the same baddie, but he's in disguise. And um this plane's on its way to London. So meanwhile, Thunderbird five is orbiting the earth and they basically, um, who tells them? Someone tells them they've got a bomb on the plane. It was the baddie, wasn't it? He's he's disguised as police. Yeah, and and so basically, um, they're like, right, um, what did they, what was it? What was it called? It's called uh, Fire Flash. So Fire Flash was the plane of the nuclear engine, and he said, like, they know what the bomb is. You know where it is. It's, we think it might be a hoax, but what you need to do is you need to come back to London. So come back to the airport, and. Buzz the tower, dip your wings so we can see into your landing gear, and then see. And they take pictures of it as it goes past. I thought that was super cool. Like imagine like having to like do a low part. Like, but the thing is, on the the, the, air, the uh, aircraft control, they clear the skies. Like no air, no aircraft within like Brazilian miles. Of, and and they're like he does like this low pass and dips the wing, and they take the photos and they can see the bomb in the um in the uh in the in the plane in the plane's landing gear so you know that when the plane lands it will set the bomb off but until then it, it doesn't work so so basically the the air force have an idea to how to rescue these um rescue the thing but meanwhile 
Thunderbirds are... I'm going to call them Thunderbirds. I'm going to call them International, international Rescue because they are the Thunderbirds. So the Thunderbirds are are aware of the problem and know that they can help. But meanwhile, the Brits have an idea and their idea is to get a man on an aircraft and... Um, which what I thought was super cool, this little thing. So basically, they make a man... They, they winch him out of the aircraft and he's got this little kind of like wind catcher thing so it's like more stable. And he's basically on a string being pulled along by the aircraft and they kind of winch him out and try and get him onto the um uh onto the, the the aircraft with a bomb on it and then he's like oh he gets inside the aircraft and then something breaks inside the landing gear and he falls you just see him like his little puppet thing and he's kind of sort of spiraling down <laughs> and he's like oh no he's gone and his parachute's not opening um but then his parachute does open and they think he's fine uh, and that was like the brit's last hurrah that was like if they don't do it here um you know he's finished. Oh, one thing I've just written here is, you see him grab onto the bar inside the landing gear, and it's like real hands, like because it, obviously they're puppets, and then all the cutaways of hands are real people's hands. Um, so the kind of transition between the two is quite funny. Yeah, this is where I've written. What does FAB mean? So if anyone knows, that'd be really interesting. Um, interesting thing to to learn. So um, uh, so Thunderbird one comes in and he lands at London airport and he says, and it's quite funny because he's kind of like says, right, I'm here. I can help you now, but you can't, you got to take all my stuff and you can't ask me any questions. And like, they're like, you expect us to give all that without thing. And they're like, he goes, yes, take it or leave it or something like that. And they're like, okay, come up to the aircraft control tower. And he says, right. But one thing you can't let anyone take photos of my thing. And the baddie's dressed up as a policeman and he's like pretending to, look after the aircraft uh, like thunderbird one rocket and he's got like a little camera in his in his hat and he's going around taking like secret photos of this and there's like a, a photograph detector or something on the on thunderbird one and it sets off an alarm and then he kind of drives away and everyone's kind of chasing him and this is where they press the um the t is like a little button with a little tea kettle on it and he presses the button and it's penelope um lady penelope's number and then she's like she lady penelope is this kind of like disinterested like very um british woman like doesn't really show any emotion she's like oh i had visitors and everything and then she just kind of like goes and that you know, bit, i liked kind of, her she was great yeah she's just like a little bit inconvenienced that she has to go and kind of save the world so um her and parker just like kind of because they say oh he's heading up the m I, I, I don't know why but i love hearing like the m1 on on like tv shows like this he's like heading up the m1 towards blah 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 and i'm like okay great yeah it's good towards birmingham i think and um and then she's like okay fine they're going to stop it meanwhile um they've got a plan where the thunderbirds are going to so thunderbird 2 arrives with these um basically platforms and the plan is for the the aircraft to land but not on the landing gear which will set the bomb off they're going to land on these platforms and um like rest the nose in the two wings on these platforms and then just hopefully come to a stop so they basically set up this whole cool sequence where the emergency vehicles are halfway up the runway the um transporters that are going to catch the aircraft to like have to like match the speed of the plane the plane comes in and then one of the um one of the transporter things like veers off and crashes into an aircraft and it blows up and they're like, oh, okay, do another, you know, go around again. And 
so they go around again and um they said let that plane burn like that's not the priority here we need to get the people with real you get the plane with real people on it and then so do it again they get another transport backup transport and it's all really dramatic the plane lands on them but then the first one like kind of veers off and crashes and the plane's nose is hitting the ground and the bomb's kind of hanging on by a thread um oh yeah this is where they're all sweating now so all the sweats started to appear on the on the on the things so lady penelope and parker and parker are going up in the um thing and like, like i said i literally written she's having a fag in the back and he's like <laughs> shooting this car um, one so, shot boom yeah, like, so boom and then he's like this huge explosion <laughs> the car's going down the hill like destroying everything and then the bad guys are laying in the back of the car bearing in mind this is not an end cap safety rated vehicle back in these days this is just like a basically a box of metal and if you know if you survive you survive if you die you die and he's just like laying in the wreckage like oh if i would have got in the way of it too if it wasn't for you pesky kids kind of thing so basically back at the international rescue base everyone's chilling and brain says he wants to see the pictures or wants to see the dog and the pictures change and the guy that like he uh the bad guy um was reading his mind before said he's fine and then International Rescue said, um, he holds a newspaper and International Rescue have made the news. Who are these International Rescue people or whatever it says? And and then Doc says, I would like to fir- shake them firmly by the hand. And then, um, well, I can't even remember the lead guy's name. What's his name? And he says, he says I'm sure you will. And like, kind of shakes his hand and it's like zooms in on the hands. He's like, he's shake- oh, he's shaking his hand, but he doesn't even know it. Ah. Um but yeah, so basically Thunderbird said... Real that. hands as well, probably, wasn't it? Yeah. And that hand is the close-up and they <laughs> use that real hands. It's so funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is actually a pretty good episode. I enjoyed seeing how they were going to do it. Watching yeah. Old. Um, yeah I, I, Look, I it was long, it. but it was very dramatic. It was very... I'm thinking, oh my God, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Ah! But like I said, like even in the same one, it was, like, it was very linear. It wasn't like a movie where... Something happens, and then you know they've got to get back to the way they were. It was like it has all of the things, but it's only one thing happening. Like the whole storyline was the plane being hijacked, not hijacked, so the plane having a bomb in it, and they need to get the plane down. That was the whole story, and they told that over an hour, and I quite like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was a, it was, it was, it was a, a good episode. I watched episode 12, I think it says on my notes, and this was the perils of Penelope. So, uh, yeah, they're basically, there's this new innovation in space travel and they're doing this whole liftoff thing and they want to probe the sun or something like that and there's 17 million thrust and blah, 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 blah. And Lady Penelope is going to Paris to meet Sir Jeremy and, you know, he wants to tell her a secret and... She's basically about to have this drink and then all of a sudden the glass just explodes and then you got Parker walking in going, I'm very sorry, madam, but I believe that drink was spiked. And they're looking around going, who spiked it? And then some guy who runs off and it turns out that there are certain people who aren't particularly happy about the technology being used and they want to find the professor who came up with it. And they've obviously got to try to find the baddie. And Penelope is contacting the Thunderbirds using their video phone and video screens. So even in 1965, they weren't that far off in terms of what the 21st century technology would be like. Video calls and FaceTiming and 
You can see their faces. And so she's contacting the Thunderbirds to let them know what's happening. And then they're heading to Andabad. And yeah, Penelope and Sir Jeremy, they end up going to a basement to look for a book about the technology. But someone beats them to it. And they get locked into the room and the room is full of gas. And literally you got Sir Jeremy going up there with his British accent going, open the door, we're British, you can't do this. I literally wrote British exceptionalism. I just knew it from watching this character for first, I got, I bet he's going to be like those typical English guys. I'm British, you cannot do this to me. And literally when he said that line, I was like, I knew it. And Parker somehow saves them because he senses that there's danger. And so they go to the train to uh, Andabad. And so they're basically catching up with this uh, bad guy and they're on the train. And Parker is basically following the train on the car. And there's this attendant that they're trying to talk to. But the bad guy gets to the attendant and he's at the attendant. Hey, what did you tell them? And he's like, I promise I didn't say anything. I promise I didn't say anything. And then the bad guy ends up throwing the attendant off the train, which I thought was so sinister. And he's literally like trying to get up and he's like, uh, I'm trying to get up. And he's and you could see like Parker driving and you're thinking, oh, he might try and link up with Parker and tell him that, you know, Penelope and Sir Jeremy are in danger. But he ends up collapsing. So uh, I think he did, unfortunately for him. So they're on this uh, really, really cool looking train, which is kind of like upside down on the tracks. And they're just basically hovering around. And basically, yeah, she sees someone at her door when she's trying to go to sleep. And she wakes up to Jeremy and they're basically having a, a look. And basically there's power failure with the train and they all have to get out. And the Thunderbirds are basically looking for the train. And then... Jeremy and Penelope are basically kidnapped by this bad guy and they have the doctor tied up and he basically wants to know the secrets which is basically the conversion formula turning seawater into fuel but obviously they're like look we ain't saying nothing we ain't saying nothing and then he's like okay fine I've got Penelope tied up and he obviously she doesn't if you don't tell me I'm gonna let this train there's there's a new train coming through and it's basically gonna wallop penelope if you're not careful and so yeah they're 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 dragging this bit on the thunderbirds are looking for the um the train station so they're going underground they manage to untie penelope and apprehend the bad guys and yeah they save penelope in time and yeah they're having a good time and that's how that episode ends again it was actually yeah i uh yeah, I I I, I kind of liked Thunderbirds in the end. I didn't I didn't think it was um I don't think it was too bad. Even if it was fifty minutes long, I I wasn't necessarily bored stiff as I was with the uh, other programs. Yeah, I think it was um it was fairly well done. It was exciting. A lot of explosions. A lot of like kind of spy talk. It was like like I said, it was like a proper spy thing or like secret agents and cool stuff. You know, gadgets and whatever. So yeah. But it was just in puppets. Um, if you could get past the puppet thing, then it was actually pretty fairly decent show. I mean, I'm, I don't, I don't know which show was the most obvious when it came to puppets or the more visible strings. 
And there was one show in particular where it was so obvious. I think the Thunderbirds was pretty bad, to be fair, with the, with the um, strings. I think Captain Scarlet was probably the best in terms of visible wires. Yeah, yeah um, I didn't really notice it in Captain Scarlet. Yeah. Um, it was the other two. Yeah. But it wasn't a bad thing. I don't... Yeah, look, whatever. It's 1965. Strings. Give me strings over CGI any day of the week. And, yeah, I think that's all I've got to say about that. Any last words? Uh, No, just... Toys, man. Merchandise. Finally, we going on now to Captain Scarlet. And this show came out in September 1967. And some of the things happening in the world. Walter E. Washington was appointed as the first African-American mayor of a major American city as President Lyndon Johnson announced his nomination as mayor commissioner of Washington, D.C. Voters in the British Overseas Territory of Gibraltar, ceded by Spain to the United Kingdom in 1713, turned out for a referendum on the colony's future. Presented with a choice of voluntarily to retain their link with the United Kingdom or to pass under Spanish sovereignty. And the result was in favour of staying and there was very little for Spanish control. Former Foreign Minister... Cornelio Manescu of Romania was elected as the first president of the United Nations General Assembly to represent a communist nation. Point Blank was in the cinemas and The Last Waltz by Engelbert Humperdinck was number one in the charts. Uh, two out of three in bad. You know who Engelbert Humperdinck is, don't you? Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Oh uh, yeah, I, I'm the same. I didn't know this song either. So uh, there you go. Captain Scarlet now. So this was a British sci-fi TV series, once again created by the same people and the same Super Mario Nation. Blah, 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 blah. So Captain Scarlet was the Anderson's eighth of ten puppet series. And it was preceded by Thunderbirds and followed by Joe 90 and the Secret Service. In terms of visual aesthetic, it represents a departure from Thunderbirds in its use of non-caricatured puppets sculpted to realistic body proportions. And it was repeated several times in the UK. It generated tie-ins from toy cars and dolls to audio plays and original novels as well as the comic strips in the Century 21st weekly comic TV Century 21. Compared to Thunderbirds and earlier Anderson series, Captain Scarlet is generally considered darker in tone and less suited to child audiences due to its violent content and themes of alien aggression and interplanetary war. The change in puppet design has divided critical opinion while the wisdom of making the protagonist indestructible has also been questioned. However, the series has been praised for its use of a multinational, multi-ethnic puppet cast and the depiction of a utopian future Earth a computer animated reboot series, Jerry Anderson's New Captain Scarlet, was first broadcast in 2015. It's set in 2068, and Captain Scarlet follows the war of nerves between the Earth and the Mysterons. And it was also even known as Captain Scarlet and the Mysterons. And they're a race of Martians who possess partial control over matter. When a misunderstanding causes human astronauts to attack their city on Mars, 
the Mysterons vow revenge and launch a series of reprisals against Earth. These are countered by Spectrum, a worldwide security organization. The characters are Captain Scarlet, Captain Blue, Colonel White, Captain Black, Lieutenant Green, Captain Orcher, Captain Mag- Magenta, Captain Grey, Dr. Fawn, Destiny Angel, Symphony Angel, Rhapsody Angel, Melody Angel, and Harmony Angel. And as a result of the cancellation of Thunderbirds, Jerry Anderson was forced to come up with an idea for a new Super Mario Nation series. He had once been inspired by the thought of creating a live-action police drama in which the hero would have unexpectedly been murdered halfway through the series and replaced by a new lead character. Now, giving fresh consideration to this idea, Anderson realized that a major selling point for his new series could be a character who is killed at the end of each episode and resurrected by the start of the next. This, coupled with contemporary theories about possibility of life on Mars, led to the idea of an interplanetary war between Earth and its neighbor and a worldwide security organization being called upon to defend humanity. After further thought, Anderson decided that Scarlet would be suitably an unusual name for this generation's indestructible agent, while his partner in the field could be Blue. From this, Anderson reasoned that all personnel should have color code names and that the organization should be called Spectrum, noting noting that white light is composed of and can be broken down into the colors of the Spectrum. He's named Spectrum Leader White. The increased realism of the puppets meant that their mobility was significantly reduced. This ironically made the design less lifelike than Anderson had hoped. And what he said, and I quote, Suddenly, all the movements had to be as realistic as a puppet, and that made it difficult for the puppeteers to animate them. To minimize the amount of movement required, the puppets were made to stand on moving walkways or sit at moving desks. For example, Colonel White's desk is able to rotate, and Lieutenant Green operates the cloud-based computer from a sliding chair. The puppeteer, Jan King, said, and I quote, The Captain Scarlet puppets were not built to walk, They were too heavy and not weighted properly anyway. It is virtually impossible to get a string puppet to walk convincingly on film unless it is a very caricatured puppet. In Captain Scarlet, if a puppet had to move off screen, it was done in a head and shoulder shot. The floor puppeteer would hold the legs of the puppet and then move the puppet physically out of shot at the right time, trying to make the body and shoulders move as if the puppet were talking. Sylvia Anderson said in 1992, Captain Scarlet and the Mysterions should have been one of the most successful puppet shows, and it wasn't. I think it was too perfect. There was a lack of humor. It was too mechanical and needed humanizing. Jerry always wanted to make the characters a lot more rigid than I did. I wanted to start to give them human flaws, start to make them more important. He was more inclined to make them just say the lines and fit into a rigid pattern. But if you don't care about the characters, it doesn't really work. And in academic publications, the diversity of the characters in both race and gender has been viewed highly. Bold praises the beautiful and multi-ethnic female angel angel fighter pilots and secondary roles played by capable women. In a 2003 interview, Anderson noted the effort made to feature ethnic minorities. And what he said was, I think people who make television programs have a responsibility particularly when children are watching avidly 
and you know their minds can be affected almost irreversibly as they grow up. We were very conscious of introducing different ethnic backgrounds. When I made Supercar for ATV, we were put we put a number of black characters in an episode because the story demanded it. ATV had an American advisor at the time and he made us take out every black character and replace them with white characters and white voices. He said he would not be able to sell it to stations in the South. I was always very anxious to promote racial harmony. So as soon as people had become more sensible, I took advantage of it. Captain Scarlet. Right, so basically, whenever you do a transition in this segment of the show, you've got to go to dun 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 I hated that so much. <laughs> I loved it. So it's like, just tell me the story, and then halfway through, do the bum 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 bum. I loved it. It was annoying. The multi-ethnic was a stretch. There was like one Asian fighter pilot. There's one black girl as well. Where? From I, Trinidad. Well, I didn't see her, but apparently there's someone from the Trinidad in this. I was going to say, because it's like, it's like all these colours, Captain Red and Blue and Scarlet and Green, and even Captain Black's a white guy. <laughs> <laughs> For a lot of colours, this is a lot of, a lot of whiteies. Um, also, all the critics, frankly, can do one, because I thought this show was absolutely brilliant. I loved it as a kid. Um, I had the cars. I had this little torch, right? So I just—it was shaped like the Captain Scarlet car. And when you plug this little thing on the back of it, it did like the Misterons on the like uh, shining the Misterons in in like in your room at night time. It was the coolest thing ever. And I had all the toys of this. I had the aeroplanes. I had the cars. I had the the little action figures. So thank you to my parents for for giving me those. But I loved this show. And even now, I thought it was definitely the coolest one. Like had all the explosions, like proper, um, even like the the the, the puppets had <laughs> like five o'clock shadow going on, um, <laughs> and yeah, I just thought it was like I definitely thought it was the coolest one, and they had the coolest gadgets. They had the little radios that came down um, from their hats. Um, yeah, uh, obviously you can tell that I like this one. Um, even the bit at the beginning with the the arrow that shoots, like the little sentry, whatever it was called, the little logo thing, that brought me back to when I was a kid and watching it with my dad. So I was like, "Yeah, man, this is this is cool." And even like the little transition thing, dun 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 dun, dun loved it. And I know, <laughs> I mean, maybe, but you know what? Okay, do it. Yeah, like I said, do it halfway. Don't do it at the beginning of the story. Captain Scarlet is going to meet with the world president. Bum, 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 bum. He meets the president. Bum, 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 bum. Okay, stop it. Yeah, perhaps there's an argument that it's overused slightly. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. Um, Give me dynamite. Dynamite <laughs> oh, any day of the week. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was uh, It was cool. I had the air of... Like, the scrambling the fighter jet sequence was shot incredibly well. Um... I can tell we disagree, but we always disagree, so... No, no, no. But um, what I was going to say was, this was slow. This was slow. I was sitting there thinking, okay, okay, get to the point. Because it's like, I'm like about to fall asleep, so maybe that's why they did the... Bum, 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 just to wake me up. Are you, are you paying attention? Bum, 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 bum. 
we're going to this next scene now, and I'm like, okay, 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 what have I missed? Because one of the, it was one of those where I was like dawdling on my phone, and then I'm like, oh, blah, 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 bum, bum. I'm like, okay, what the hell happened? What's going on? Did I miss something? I mean, I, I was like, um, what I liked is that they would do something, and they wouldn't necessarily explain it right away. So they had a part where, and obviously I'll explain all this later in the episode rundown, but they had like a part where a plane went down, but then. And then another plane like took its place, and they're like, "Oh, but we're not going to explain that just yet. We're not going to explain why that happened yet." And they go to something else, and then, and then it will all kind of unfold. And even with the the same, this was the same as the rest of them, where it, like it had a it had a point where like, baddies did this, goodies got, or goodies have a mission. Baddies are trying to stop them, goodies win, and baddies are trying to do something to the goodies, goodies stop them, the end. But. I, I, you know, I really liked it and I thought it was really clever and a lot of use of cool gadgets. Oh, one thing was like um, the humans started it and they kind of deserve it. The yeah, 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 right? yeah. The Mysterons are kind Your of aggression, yeah. And they, they, they literally just rock up and like in true, I mean, this, this is where I think it should have been an American show. So they rock up and in true American fashion, they just blow it up without even thinking. So they're like, <laughs> um, he's definitely trying to. He's definitely trying to kill us. And they're like, uh, "We're actually a peaceful nation, but you're going to get it now." So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, kind of, are the Mysterons the bad guys? I guess is the, the the question. But anyway, yeah, that's that's me. Um, I've, I think I've kind of said my piece about Captain Scarlet. I think it's interesting that in 2068 there's going to be a world president. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so I found that I found that interesting. And like, the, is that I where we headed? No, Asian something republic, the Asian nations republic, or something like that. Um, democratically elected. They were saying I can't see in my notes what he was, but um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I don't hold any hope out for that to be honest. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't fancy being ruled by a world president. Can you imagine their responsibility? I represent Earth. So that means that then, if there's a world president, then what is there going to be a president for all the other planets? Then. Well, yeah. I mean, in true human fashion, we'll probably just put, we'll we'll do those as well. I mean, we went up to the moon once and like put a flag on it, and then said that's ours now. Find the keepers. I can't wait like until we like we we rock up to a planet and all like you know all bells and whistles and rockets and stuff like that. Put a flag on it and then get battered by some alien life force that's already on the planet and be like, actually, you can you can do one because I've seen what you've done to your planet. Or you You're might just melt if you land on this planet. Or you might just freeze to death. Yeah. Obviously, these planets are not for human consumption or for humans. So yeah, good luck with all of that. Life on Mars, yeah, rather you than me. Yeah, I mean... Life on Mars, you won't have no life if you end up going to Mars. Episodes, you want to do the pilot? Yeah, I did, so I did one and two again. And I remembered one from when I was a kid, but uh, obviously not that well. So he's dead, right? So basically what happened... So they actually explain it in the first episode. The first episode is how they explain why... Because they even say in the intro, this, he's indestructible. This guy's shooting him, but they also explain so. so the, the, they kind of explain something contrary to the the intro sequence. So in the intro sequence, some guy rocks up and shoots him, and he and then he just like raises his gun a bit 
like the Han Solo thing, and he shoots, just shoots this guy. But it turns out that the doctor said, look, you're going to hurt, you're going to bleed, you're going to do everything, but you'll heal, even if it's a fatal injury. Did I say that in the intro? No, 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 they don't. In the intro, they say he's indestructible. But later on in one of the episodes, they explain that you will bleed. Oh, so will... in the pilot, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So basically, um, these guys are from Earth, space people, they're on Mars. They find a um, base. It, like... There's like something that looks at them and they're like, oh, they're going to attack us. So they launch all these missiles and blow the whole base up. And then the Mistrons are like, right, that's it. You guys are going to get it. I'm not going to tell you when. It's going to be a slow process. They're quite good at explaining what they're going to do, the Mistrons. They're like, right. So basically, this is how it's going to go down. Uh, and the Mistrons vow to destroy the humans, right? And they also capture Captain Black as their own guy now. Um... So the uh, the angels, the Skyborn, uh, Captain Scarlet is going to escort the world president. Uh, with with he's so he's on his way to do that, and he's with Captain Brown. Car blows a tire. They go down a hill. There's a big explosion. I think Captain Brown is dead. Um, I'm not sure if he dies. I'm pretty sure he's dead. Um, Captain Scarlet KO'd, and he gets dragged away. And it's kind of the misterons you see the things. And basically now there's an evil Captain Scarlet, and then. Captain Brown is still there, but um, he uh, so basically they they got this um, they've got lo- they have to escort the, the world president, but there's like loads of people trying to kill him. They take him to this this room, and Captain Brown just basically starts smoking and then blows up, um, and then it cuts to like the 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 um, what they called the Spectrum uh, uh, headquarters, and what they did was when the world president was in a chair just before he blew up, they like retracted him through this wall. And then put the wall down, and then a whole building blows up. But they managed to get him out before that. Uh, Captain Scarlet goes to London with the president, but he's like the evil kind of Captain Scarlet. Uh, Colonel White clocks on that he's um, clocks on because they find Brown's body, uh, Captain Brown's body, um, and then Destiny Angels had to fake attack the aircraft that the president is on with um, uh, Captain Scarlet, and they both eject from the aircraft. And then this is when they, when you hear them say SIG. There's like instead of the FAB kind of thing. Uh, Captain Blue gets in a spy car. Captain Scarlet's heading towards London with the president at gunpoint, but they make a like diversion on the motorway. They blow a bridge up, so they have to go off. And they go up in this massive car park that's like um, in the sky. And basically, there's like a good like five minutes of them just car screeching tires going around this like uh, up this hill. London looks rubbish in the background, by the way. It's, it's horrible. Um, uh, Captain Blue's on his tail. Helicopter flying by itself, and the helicopter is going to come and pick up Captain Scarlet. But the Spectrum people think it's their helicopter, but it's not. The Captain Blue has a jetpack, which is super cool. Um, and then Captain Blue shoots Captain Scarlet, and Captain Scarlet falls off this um, uh, thing. And then the chopper, he shoot, also shoots the chopper, and the chopper, I think, no, the angels shoot down the chopper and the chopper hits the thing and a whole tower falls down. Um, one thing I noticed, there wasn't any ambient audio. So when, it, when there's dialogue, they're talking, but there's no like wind noises and, you know, and like general street noise and stuff like that. It's nothing like that. Um, and it turns out that when they fish Captain Scarlet out of the wreckage of the thing, it, he, even though he's been like, everyone thinks he's died, he's actually fine and he heals quickly and... Um, now he's indestructible. And that was the end of the first episode. Episode two was someone tries to kill the um, uh, the United Asian Republic leader. Uh, the, um, 
and they fail because he gets shot by someone else. Can't remember which which one he gets shot by, but uh, Captain Scarlet is indestructible. Oh, question for you though: If you were indestructible, but you could feel pain, what would you do? Would you do anything special? Would you like see how? Could, would you jump out of a building just to see what it feels like? Even though you'd be fine, you'd feel pain, but you'd be fine afterwards. Yeah, but I don't want to feel pain. Isn't that the whole point of being indestructible? So you don't feel pain. Yeah, but would you do it like just to see what it's like, or jump out of an aeroplane without? No, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Um, do you just like go ahead normal? Would you like start crossing roads without looking? If nothing happened to me. Well, you're gonna get hurt a little bit. As in, no, hurt. I no, I don't want to get hurt. That's that's my price. Okay. Um, don't want to be hurt. Fair enough. So all the angels are airborne again. Uh, so the uh, Captain Scarlet, Captain Blue, on the way to the airport. All angels are airborne. Captain Black is watching this stratojet take off, um, and the stratojet is going to come and pick up the Asian president person. And and basically, um, the the stratojet has been tampered with and it goes down into the sea and i was a bit like oh maybe they're going to get rescued these people nope straight up dead these people um crashed the plane um and then another plane say same marking same plane everything takes its place so everyone thinks it's that plane and that plane lands uh scarlet and captain blue are in in a plane they land before they get to london and they check the route via car uh so yes yeah, so basically that that the first jet crashes the other one takes its place uh fake director general in in a, in like a road escort but there's a real one in the tanker uh and it's and i said not sure who died in the plane crash um probably captain air... scarlet no he was in uh he's in, 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 in every in episode yeah, I think he. I can't remember how. Oh, he dies. He sacrificed himself in this episode. It's quite cool. So, so basically, um, the airport is sealed, but a fake aeroplane is coming to land. So they, they, the baddies have kind of compromised the uh, the airport. Um, the plane lands, but they look in it, no one on it, and they figure out it's a booby trap. So basically, this plane is going to crash into the premier's plane. So they're like, this plane, uh, premier's plane is really trying to take off really quickly on the runway. The other plane is like, um. Uh, it's like other way you come coming the other way down the runway. So angels try to attack it. Um, Carla, Captain Scarlet ejects. Uh, Captain Blue tries to ram the. Oh, so basically, um, they have this car, and what they what they plan to do is ram the wheels of the big plane to try and get it to just crash off the runway. Um, and it, he said, and Captain Blue says, "Oh, that's crazy. We'll get killed." And he says. No, you will get killed. And then he ejects Captain Blue out of the aircraft, so out the out the car, so that he can't die, basically. And then Captain Scarlet just like basically runs into this thing and then runs off and blows. And the plane finishes. But then the the premier plane that's taken off crashes into the other plane and then like burns burns up. So uh, then Captain Scarlet's injured. But and then um, someone says maybe he didn't die, and he goes what? In vain. Uh, as if to say, like, <laughs> uh, but they, uh, uh, and then I, was, so I didn't understand like the premiere. They didn't. Maybe it's in the next episode where the premiere. Did he die or did he not? I don't know. Of course he didn't. But then that's the thing, isn't it? He dies. He's like Kenny in South Park. Dies every episode, but doesn't die. Yeah, he's 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 basically Kenny in South Park. Right. Let me uh, talk about my uh, other episode that I watched. It was the uh, finale, I believe, and it was a clip show. Love a clip show. So, uh, Captain Scarlet and Adam are having dinner. 
Adam isn't quite feeling right, aka Captain Blue, and all of a sudden he disappears. And the Mysterions are sending a message saying that someone will betray the Spectrum or whatever they are. And Captain Blue is being questioned, but he doesn't trust the person questioning him. So he's like, oh, are you really Captain Blue? And he's like, yes, I am. And he's like, uh, no, you're not. You need to prove it. And he's like, I am Captain Blue. You need to go and get Captain White right here immediately. And he goes, oh, we'll get Captain White. Don't worry, but who are you? And so he has to um, tell all these different stories. And so he's telling one time where they were driving around with a van and they have to try and... Um, stop someone from getting away or something and so yeah it's just basically he has to explain certain missions of those guys to prove his identity he tells the first story and he's not quite convinced and then he's like okay talk, tell me about this time about the crystal from space and so he's explaining about how scarlet somehow escapes the explosion of the mysterion complex because the whole thing just blows up and you got captain scarlet just driving as as you do and then he's still not convinced so he's telling him another story so he's basically telling them about when Scarlet gets tied up by the bad guys before a conference but he escapes and ends up shooting down the bad guys big explosions and the Mysterians has failed and so he says okay I'm still not convinced and he goes okay so what's the Spectrum Cypher code and Blue's like you know I can't tell you that are you mad and he's like, you know, tell me the code now or you're going to be arrested. But Blue's like, you know what? I'm not going to give it. And so he exposes himself, the guy questioning as being uh, working with the Mysterons. And then there's this other guy going, I'm going to inject you with this truth serum. And he ends up getting away. Captain Scarlet comes to save the day. And yeah, that was that episode of Captain Scarlet. Ba bum bum ba 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 bum. Right, shall we? Uh, yeah, shall we uh, rank these shows? Yeah, I mean, mine's quite an easy one today, but I also want to like caveat it by saying there's no bad shows this time. Like, I I actually enjoyed every single one of them. Um, so an uh, easy number three for me though was uh, Stingray. Wow, because of the <laughs> because of the baddies and stuff like that, I found it just super weird compared to the rest of them. They're like monster, weird monster alien things. Um. Uh, clear number two again was uh, Thunderbirds, and at number one, and always number one in my heart is definitely Captain Scarlet. I loved it. I loved everything about it, and I loved it when I was a kid. I still love it now, and this was like proper trip up memory lane. And I, yeah, I was so happy to do this episode, and so happy to revisit Captain Scarlet. Number three for me was Captain Scarlet. I thought it was by far the weaker of the three. I was very bored. I, yeah, I didn't like how everything was all mechanical and robotic. I loved it, everything. It was all a bit stiff. It was very boring. I found watching Thunderbirds a lot easier, and that was longer than this. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was a good story to tell, and yes. It's it's not yeah it's not it's not the worst show we've done by far it's not so it's just yeah number three out of these two number two was Thunderbirds I ended up liking Thunderbirds in the end I thought it was pretty good 
and I liked it a hell of a lot better than I did as a kid. And yeah, my number one was Stingray. I liked it. I thought it was very easy to watch. It was very basic and simplistic in its storytelling. And yeah, I, I, I liked it a hell of a lot more than the other shows. And if I had to pick one show to watch from my childhood, I would probably would have watched Stingray. But um, yeah, there you yeah. go. I mean, I can see like um, every, every every show here was likable. Um, I wasn't bored at any point watching these shows, and I've been bored before watching some of the shows that we've covered on this on this podcast. I all three shows were great, um, but yeah, I mean, for me, I think it's just nostalgia. But when a show actually meets up to it, so I was like, yeah, man, this is the business. So um, yeah. Anyway, but this week, honestly, I thoroughly enjoyed this week. I think they all relative held up all relatively well. So there wasn't anything that was really bad or aged badly. Okay, we can see the strings, but that's what you get when you've got 1080p computers or TV screens. Yeah, I mean, but it's like you said, though, like, I would take strings over CGI any day. CGI seems to kill shows. Um, anytime you put it into, like, um, CGI... It seems to just it loses something, and um, so yeah, just to keep it live action and kind of like uh... no, but this is real, like the strings, and this is like hard work. This is like hustle. This is what they're doing, and 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 what have you. So I I did um, yeah, I I like that, and I uh, I appreciated that. So um, yeah, very 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 good stuff from uh, Jerry and Sylvia Anderson. I think Sylvia Anderson deserves as much credit because every everything is all Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. You know, give some love to Sylvia too. Yeah, yeah. She she came up with that, and I thought she was right about Captain Scarlet. It should have been the best out of the three, but because they focused on one thing than the other, it, I did, and for that reason, I felt as well that it fell, 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 fell off because they were they were so interested in um, one aspect of it, which was. Um, I think what they tried to do was that it was yeah too mechanical and it and it needed that human element of it. Whereas I think that's what Stingray had, that's what Thunderbirds had to an extent, and that's why I kind of gravitated towards them more yeah, than Captain Scarlet. So I was like more more interested, and I've always been like this. Like the more realistic something is, the more I can be into it. So the the fact that it was realistic in their appearance and their features and stuff like that, I liked that more than the weird weird kind of like massive heads and like huge hands of uh, Thunderbirds and Captain Scarlet. Yeah, that's 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 uh that's fair enough. And uh yeah, we'll uh we'll leave it there. And that's the first episode of twenty twenty one in the books. Uh yesterday's capers is available wherever you get your podcast from. So uh, if you were listening in twenty twenty, we would love for you to listen again in twenty twenty one. So uh, please like, share, subscribe to all of those things. want to say a massive thank you to uh, YouTube listeners, because even though I say all the time YouTube bugs out, you guys have come through massively for us, making us the top 10 podcasts in the UK and top 50 in Canada and top 100 in America. You know, numbers don't lie, and you guys are coming through big time on YouTube. So uh, I appreciate that very, 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 very much. And uh, yeah, hopefully hopefully you'll still listen on YouTube because I'm sure it's a much easier platform than uh, podcast platforms. So that's fair enough. But yeah, podcast platforms, YouTube, wherever you want to listen to this podcast, you definitely can. 
on the socials, you can follow us on Instagram. It's Yesterday's Capers One. It's Yesterday's Capers on Twitter. You can follow me on Instagram at Abdullah underscore Molim, Abdullah Molim on Twitter. Like, share, subscribe. Give me a holler. Give me a shout. We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash yesterday's capers. Do all of those things. And yeah, join us next time for another episode of Yesterday's Capers. A beautiful mystery. I'm certain to fall, I know. Because you enthrall me so. say that you'll always stay close to my heart